So victory of Jesus, the defeat of Satan, and victory of the saints. There's the QR code if you didn't get a chance to uh, scan that before. Um, I'm sorry, but i got to turn this off. It's going to bother me. I'm weird that way, I guess. I keep in my peripheral. So victory in the blood of the Lamb, bearing testimony of his work in our lives. That's really the thrust of this passage, is that we have victory in Jesus, our Savior forever. He sought us, and he bought us with his redeeming blood. Amen? And he wanted to know us. He wanted to have a relationship with us, so he paid it all, and all to him we owe. Turn with me to Revelation uh, chapter 12. And, and, you know, as you go through life, there's so many things that fear out of control, isn't there? Right? Whether it's how people perceive you and how they respond to you, that's a lot out of your control. It's, or whether it's a cyclic sin that you have, right, and you keep repeating it over and over again, right, and you're like, I just wish I would stop doing this, right? That's out of control, right? Or whether it be your body, Right? I'm not that old, but my body feels sometimes like it's 80 or something. I don't know. But it feels like it's out of my control. Does that make sense? And so there are so many things out of our control. And what we have to do is remind ourselves that we serve a God who is bigger than us. We serve a God who is bigger than our back pain. We serve a God who is bigger than our relational interactions and our problems. We serve a God who is bigger than our sin. And we have victory in Jesus. And that should be our mantra every day of the week. That should be our foundation, that it is for Jesus that we live, and it is in Jesus that we have victory. And trust me, I know that all of you have things going sideways in your life. And if you don't, give it a little time. Because we live in a broken and fallen world where the enemy is seeking to devour us. And yet, we are Christ's. We've been marked by him. We belong to him. And it is in him that we have victory. Now you can go home because that's the sermon, really. But we're going to unpack Revelation 12, okay? Revelation 12 is the first of seven signs seen in heaven. It's going to go from 12 to the beginning of chapter 15. It's a vision of salvation history and its coming future. So Revelation, we're going to look at first 12, 1 through 6. It's an overview for the rest of the chapter. So it kind of repeats itself. 7 through 17 unpacks it. It expands what was said in 1 through 6. There is good news. It's the best news. Jesus wins. And we win through his work on the cross. Satan is defeated, church. He's defeated. 
If you belong to Christ, he cannot touch you in the sense of destroying your soul. Can he be used as a tool to discipline you and grow you up uh, in the admonition and in the fullness of God? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's part of what the trials we have, to grow us, to strengthen us, to, to bring us into the fullness of Christ for our eternal good and God's glory. Nothing happens in your life, whether it be physical, emotional, relational, whatever it is. Nothing happens without God saying, okay, I know that the enemy meant that for evil, but I am going to use it for good, for the discipline, for the growing up, for the maturing of that individual, and I will be glorified through that. That's our reality. Victory in Jesus, my Savior forever, because he sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. We have victory in who? Jesus. Not in ourselves, not in what we say, not in what we do, not in our relationships, but in Jesus, the relationship that we have with him. Revelation 12, 1 through 2 says, And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. What is the Old Testament background for the sun, the moon, and the stars, this woman clothed in it? Well, I think Genesis 37, 9 through 11 really speaks to that. Then Joseph dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I, I have a dream, another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother, the, 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 the uh, mother and father of Israel, basically, should I and your mother and your brothers indeed come back to bow down ourselves to the ground before you? Now, of course, this dream was prophetic, wasn't it? Right? Because it, we all know the story of Joseph. He got. Uh, thrown into a well by his brothers because they were jealous. And then, then uh, uh, the one of the brothers convinced them not to kill him, but they sold him into slavery, right? And then he was in slavery for quite a long time, ended up in prison, then in about a prison. He had this gift of dreams. and he would, But he ends up being like second in command of all of Egypt, right? right? And his mother and his father and all his brothers come and bow down to him, and not in worship, but in respect because of his position. And Joseph says this, what you meant for evil, God used for good, doesn't he? What the enemy meant for evil, God uses for good. Again and again and again and again. My very own sin, God uses that to discipline me and refine me. That, church, is amazing. It's amazing. And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. And then we have Song of Solomon 6.10. Here Solomon's queen is representing 
Israel. Who is this who looks down like the dawn? Who looks down like the dawn? Beautiful as the moon, bright as the sun. Awesome as army with banners. The sun and the moon here represent Israel. The 12 stars represent the 12 tribes of Israel. So who is this woman? Well, there is debate on the total identity of this woman. There are four interpretations as to the identity of this woman. Okay? The Catholic interpretation is that this woman is Mary, who represents the, uh, Israel, but they focus primarily on Mary as a person. This is based on the fact that the woman is giving birth to the Messiah. And who gave birth to the Messiah? Mary did, right? But it runs into trouble when the woman flees to the wilderness to be sustained by God for three and a half years. There is no record of Mary fleeing to the wilderness to be sustained for three and a half years, right? Nor does it fit with the sequence of the vision, all right? So it has some, it has some issues, right? So the, the second view, and remember when we started Revelations, we were talking about lenses. So these are all lenses that people wear, and they bring this to the text. Can you hand me my coffee? So the idealist interpretation is that a woman, the woman is Israel, okay? So yes, this is referencing Israel, but who is being equated with the church, thus incorporating the people of God before and after Christ coming. So they're saying that the church encompasses Israel, and Israel is absorbed into the church, right? And so God here then is showing the victory for the church. They're not concerned about the three and a half years. It's just a time of po- to represent any persecution that the church goes through. That's the idealist view. And, and, and they get to the theological representation of this is that God ha- takes care of his church in persecution, right, and that victories in Christ. They get to that core, but they lose some of the nuance of, I think, what the original writers intended. Third is the preterist. The preterist interpretation is that the woman is Israel who gives birth to the Messiah, and then in 66 AD, the Jerusalem church, representing believing Israel, flees to Pella, a city in the Decapolis, up uh, north of the Sea of Galilee, which is desert, uh, until the Roman campaign is over. Now, part of the problem with this is it doesn't fit with the three-and-a-half-year time frame. So if, you, if you're okay with saying, well, you didn't really mean three-and-a-half years, it just meant a span of time, then maybe this fits. And this is recorded uh, by uh, a, a, histor- a Christian historian in uh, 300 A.D., so a little ways after uh, that happened, but it's probably fairly accurate in that the Jerusalem church fled the destruction of Jerusalem. Which was, Jerusalem fall, fell in what year? Here's a little history pop craze for you. Yeah, 70 AD. Bonus points for the person who answered that fast. Now, this is probably where I live mostly. I mean, uh, I'm a, sometimes I like the idealist stuff, but futurist is probably where my upbringing is, and it's where the lens that I have to intentionally take off a lot. Let's just put it that way. So the futurist interpretation is the woman is Israel, 
who gives birth to the Messiah. Israel then, at the last half of Daniel's 70th week, and I did a whole talk on Daniel's 70th week. I'd, I'd encourage you to go on YouTube or Facebook and look that talk up. Uh, it flees, uh, Israel flees the Antichrist and is saved by God to be cared for in the desert by him for three and a half years. And sometimes scholars would speculate and say, well, it's they flee to Petra, which is in Jordan. Um, that's all speculation. I'm not even really going to go there. Um, I do think that God does take care of his people and that it is uh, an ethnic group of Israelis that believe in Jesus uh, at the middle of the three and a half, uh, seven-year tribulation. Uh, they flee to uh, the desert. Church, I just want you to know this. God takes care of his own. If you belong to Jesus, if you've confessed Jesus as Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you are saved, and you have entered into a relationship with God, and God takes care of his own. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. So walk with him, respond to him. We have victory in Jesus. Our victory is not in ourselves. It is in Jesus, in his work on the cross, and it demonstrated that power and that sufficiency in his resurrection. So what is the significance of the woman being pregnant and in labor? Pregnancy often speaks of the, the coming of discipline and, and the coming of persecution upon the church. And uh, those several women in here, and I'm sure they could speak to how painful uh, giving birth is. In the Old Testament, Israel uh, is in travail and in, in pain, and she gives birth to wind because she's not seeking the Lord. Here, Israel gives birth to who? The Messiah. It's the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, under the impression of Rome. So it has that twofold meaning. Amen. Hallelujah. Jesus is born. Emmanuel. God with us. Jesus is born. Church, we have victory in Jesus. Victory in his work on the cross. Demonstrated by his resurrection. Revelation 3 through 4, 12, 3 through 4 says, And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and on his head, seven diadems. So diadems is a word for crown, and it's a crown to rule. And this is dragon is ruling heaven? No. Ruling where? Well, ruling earth. Okay? He, he's ruling earth. And, and, and the place of the dead. Hell is his eternal torment. Hell is what? Does hell have anybody in it right now? Hell is empty. Okay? It has been prepared for the devil and his angels and those who do not confess Jesus as Lord. Right now, all the dead are in the place of the dead. Sheol or Hades, not hell. Hell is the lake of fire. It is empty. So Satan is the prince of the power of the air. He rules all worlds. Why? Because we gave him that testimony. 
when he deceived Eve and Adam said, yeah, that looks good. Give me a bite. We said, here, we were given that rule. And we said, here, you can have it. Now, Christ, as we're going to find out today, took that back. Okay? He took that back. He said, yeah, no, I became flesh. I dwelt among us. I lived a life. I was tempted. I was tried just as you are. But, but no, thank you. I, I, I win. And so, as we find out, we will go through the text. He's the victory. Amen? Revelation chapter, uh, chapter 12, verse 4 says, His tail swept down a thought of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. So what are the Old Testament passages for this dragon character? In verse 9, he's clearly identified as Satan, right? There are two Old Testament passages for John, that John is drawing from. For the dragon imagery... He's drawing from Job 41, which is Leviathan. And then Psalm 74:11 and Isaiah 27:1 talk about God killing Leviathan. The imagery of Leviathan, who is at the end of that whole chapter of uh, in Job, it says he is the king over all the sons of pride. Now I know that you a lot of you were brought up saying Leviathan is a dinosaur. And, and Leviathan is a dinosaur. I'm not going to dispute that, some kind of dinosaur that God made. But Leviathan not only is a dinosaur, but he also is a symbol of chaos and evil in the Old Testament. And the Old Testament and the New Testament, especially in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, equates him with the devil, okay, with Satan. So here we have Leviathan. He's the imagery for this uh, dragon imagery. And he is king over all the sons of pride. So even in, in uh, Job, he is given uh, demonic attributes, right? What was the, the reason Satan fell? His pride, right? He wanted to be like God. And then for the ten horns, he draws from Daniel chapter 7, verse 7, verse 20, and 24. For the sake of time, I'm not going to read that, but those ten horns or ten kingdoms, you can read all about it there. So here is the enemy represented, and he's drying that out. And then it says in Revelation 12, 4, that a thought of the angels fell, right? And this is the, where, the, where scholars and theologians get the idea that a thought of the angels fell with Satan. And some of them put that back in the, the past, and, and they put it all over the place. It's a big debate. Um, but other, other scholars will argue that these stars, these ones in particular, don't represent fallen angels, but angels who represent the persecuted saints. Uh, this view is actually supported by Daniel 8.10 and 12.3. I think it has some validity. I'm still on the fence because I could see it go either way in the text. But Satan is determined to destroy the Messiah, Jesus. He is lying in wait, right? He's right there ready to kill Jesus at his birth. The first attempt to destroy Jesus was through his puppet, Herod. He ordered all the boys, Herod did, to be killed under two years of age, right? He ordered that. And that happened. And God saved 
Mary, Joseph, and Jesus out of that. They fled, right, because they had a dream. The second attempt to destroy Jesus that we know about is in his temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. He tried to get Jesus to basically worship him, to hand everything over except, yeah, all types of temptations there, right? We can read about this. And that was trying to destroy Jesus, to, to devour him. And it says in Peter that he comes to kill and destroy. He's seeking people to devour. But on the third attempt, he thought, Satan thought he had succeeded, for he was allowed to crucify the Lord of glory. He thought that he was doing what he needed to do. He thought that he had killed the Son of God. And it says in 1 Corinthians 2.8 that he would not have, that the rulers of the world would not have crucified the Lord of glory if they knew that it would bring the redemption that it has brought. He didn't win, church, for Christ's death became the very gateway to life. The gateway to life for everyone who believes. For he did not stay dead. But he rose again on the third day, conquering the devil and death. And in Jesus, we have victory. In Jesus, we have life. We have victory in Jesus, our Savior forever. And he sought us out. And he chose to write his name on our foreheads to seal us with the Holy Spirit. He chose to do that. It's his work. And we respond to that. Revelation 12, 5 says, She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with the rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Psalm 2, 7 through 9 says, I will tell you of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of your, the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Jesus was born, Emmanuel, God with us, tempted and tried like us, but church without sin. Therefore, he is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. He is victorious. He knows you. He's not condemning you for the sin that you carry around. In fact, he's saying, I want to use it. I'm going to use it to change you. I'm going to use it to transform you, form you. Will you lean into me? Will you love me? Will you respond to what I've given you? Jesus is currently at the right hand of God, making intercession for us. Satan used to be at the right hand of God, making accusations, saying he is not worthy. Before the cross, he is not worthy. And God's like, you're right, he's not worthy. But now, instead of Satan at the right hand of God making accusations, we have Jesus at the right hand of God making intercession, saying he is worthy. I have paid. I have paid it all. And since he paid it all, all to him we owe. Jesus' rule here is here. He's conquered sin and death, right? But it's not in its fullness. It is still coming, right? And we await that day. Come, Lord Jesus, come. 
We are his ambassadors of reconciliation through his victory until he comes. We're ambassadors of peace, peace of reconciliation that Christ came and died for all. And all who believe in him can be saved. We're not ambassadors of warriors, right? We don't come with sword and shield or guns and ammo. We come with a message of reconciliation, a message that God came and that he became flesh and he died on the cross for our sins and that he's buried and the third day he rose again so that all might be reconciled to who? God. The Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's the message that we bring. That's our mission. So let us live in the victory of Jesus. Let us live in that mission. Revelation 12, 6 says, And the woman fled into the wilderness where she was placed, has a place prepared by God in which she is nourished for 1260 days. Church, God is a promise keeper. He keeps his promises. He cares for his own. He will care for Israel and preserve her through the last half of the tribulation period, which hasn't happened yet. We're not in the tribulation. I know Israel is under attack right now, but that's not Gog and Magog war. That, that, that is a war that Israel is going through, and God will take care of Israel through that war. But it's not the beginning of the tribulation. Don't listen to those TikToks that say it is, okay? It's not. Our victory church is in Jesus. And he is faithful to Israel. He will be faithful to us. He will use all things. All things. The relationship stress. The, the sickness that you have. The, the, the lack of money. Whatever it is. He's going to use all things for our eternal good. For your eternal good. And for whose glory? His glory. Did I answer that? So we have who victory in who? Jesus. Amen. Now, Revelation 12, 7 through 9 says, Now a war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth. And his angels were thrown down with him. For study on Satan being thrown down or falling from heaven, listen to Wednesday's study on 1014. I did not fix that typo. It's not, uh, I don't even know how to say say that number, but it's 1014, 2023 is what it's supposed to say. Good news. Good news, church. Satan is defeated. He is thrown down to now that part doesn't feel so good, but, uh, but he is defeated, okay? We have victory in Jesus. Revelation 12, 10 through 11 says, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before God. He's been thrown down. He's been thrown out of court because Christ has paid the price in full. And there's no place for him in heavenly court to make accusations 
anymore. Now he's here, <laughs> and he loves to make, send out his angels to make accusations to us. And trust me, I'm the first one to be stupid and to believe the accusations that they make. And the accusations that I make myself because I have a twisted, messed up mind that has to be transformed and renewed by God. And how do I transform my mind? I spend time in God's word where the spirit of God then works and changes the way I think. He changes the lenses I wear. Verse 11, how did they conquer him? Did they pull out the AK-47s? Did they get out their grenades? Did they pull out their swords? Did they start hacking? No. They did not conquer in violence. In fact, they responded to violence with testimony. They conquered Satan by the blood of the Lamb, by the cross, by sacrifice, by the word of their testimony. God saved me. God can save you. For they love not their lives even unto death. Christ has come and defeated Satan. He no longer holds the right to accuse us. Jesus died and is risen, and there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We stand forgiven. Don't believe the lie that you are condemned. For you are forgiven. Don't take on the shame. For you are forgiven. Jesus has paid it all. And all to him we owe. Our victory is in him. He sought us out. Satan no longer accuses the people of God day and night in heaven. For God is for us. And if God is for us, then who can be against us? It is God who justifies. Instead of a Satan accusing us, it is Jesus at the right hand of the throne of God representing us before the court of heaven, saying, I've paid it all. I've paid everything. I've forgiven all the sin. This one is mine. I've put my name on his head, and he bears it. He bears it everywhere he goes, into work, into school, into, into his home, because he is mine. And he is my witness. And I am empowering him and I am transforming him and I'm using his very fault to transform him. Because that's the kind of God that I am. I'm the God that works in the mundane. I'm the God that works in the ugly. I'm the God that can take a cross and turn it to salvation for the whole world. And if he can take that cross and turn it to salvation for the whole world, he can definitely take that cross to change you. To save you, to save me. Amazing grace, right? How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Well, I once was blind, thank you. And now I see. I know I'm, I messed it up, but it's still got the point. Jesus is finding you. He's seeking you out. Church, we have victory in Jesus, in life, and in death. So let us bear witness to Jesus' work in our lives. That's what we're called to do. Victory in Jesus. 
Therefore rejoice, O heavens, you who dwell in them. Rejoice, O heavens. You don't have that annoying presence accusing people anymore. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. Where's he come down to? Terraforma, earth, where we live. Woe to the earth. Woe to unbelievers. Woe to you. For Satan and his fallen angels are here on earth. They're causing great havoc in their wrath. Woe. Listen up. Pay attention. That's what woe is. Judgment is here. He's seeking whom he can devour. Woe. Pay attention. Please, please, hear our testimony. Please find salvation and victory in Jesus. Don't be instruments or subjects of his wrath. You were children of wrath, but now you are children of who? Jesus, children of God. If you confess Jesus as Lord, you belong to Jesus. Faith in Jesus is the victory. We have victory in Jesus. Verse 13, And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time, times, and half a time. The serpent put out water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to help the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. So the Old Testament reference for this is God saving Israel out of Egypt on eagle's wings. That's Exodus 9.4. So the preterist has a very little time break. In fact, it's pretty. this is one of the a strong argument for the preterist view um, is that uh, the fall of Satan is coordinated with the fall of Jerusalem. So they have a very small uh, time break here. Uh, they have the Jerusalem church fleeing Jerusalem in 66 AD uh, to be cured for by the Gentile church at Pella in Decapolis. Okay, so that's, that's their view on that. The, the idealists are not concerned with the timing and see this as God taking care of the church in times of persecution. The futurist sees this happening to Israel in the future, specifically the last half of Daniel's 70th week. I've done a study on Daniel's 70th week. I, I encourage you on Wednesday night to go look at that, listen to that. And it speaks of God's faithfulness to Israel. And if God is faithful to Israel, then he will be faithful to us. God takes care of his own always, but especially in persecution. We have victory in Jesus. Verse 17 then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. 
on those who keep commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus, and he stood on the sand of the sea. He makes war on believing Jews. He makes war on believing Gentiles. Anybody who bears the testimony of Jesus. Church, we are at war. And may we stand in the victory of Jesus. We stand by living in the armor he has given us. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Everywhere we go, it's the gospel, because we wear it in our shoes. Where we walk, we walk in the news, good news that Jesus died for us. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, believing what God has told you, believing the truth, not the lies that he tells you. And, in, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying, praying, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Church, let's stand. Let's stand in the victory of Jesus.